Welcome to the Wall and Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. Peter Ostrushka was one of the finest musicians to ever come out of Minneapolis. We lost him at the age of 67 on February 24th. He was born in 1953 in northeast Minneapolis. He started playing mandolin at family gatherings at the age of three and later became extremely proficient on both the guitar and violin. He became a true self-taught virtuoso over the years. He came of age performing on the West Bank folk scene in the early 1970s and went on to become one of the first musicians to play on the Prairie Home Companion, which he did for years. His first big break was playing with Bob Dylan on Bob's best-selling record, Blood on the Tracks, in 1974, which was also Peter's first time in a recording studio. And over the years, Peter played with some of the finest musicians in both Minnesota and America, recording dozens of records and writing some incredible original music, and was featured prominently in several Ken Burns documentaries. Tonight, we will be remembering Peter and speaking with two great Minneapolis musicians who knew him and played with him, Mr. Dakota Dave Hall and Tom Lieberman. First up, Dakota Dave Hall. a song called Ragtime Annie that featured Peter Dostrusko on mandolin along with Bob Douglas on mandolin as well. Off Dave Hall's Hall's Victory record. Dakota Dave Hall is with us now. Dave, uh, that was a great tune. Uh, It's a great record. And wasn't uh, the incredible Doc Watson on that session as well? He sure was. Um, Yes. And and hello, Paul. Yeah. he he was he was here for that, and we were all blown blown away. Um, Butch Thompson was uh, was there. Sean Blackburn, Barb Montoro, um, and uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. Mike Cass, sure, Dobro player. Yeah. What and, year was that? Uh, what year was that, Dakota? Uh, I'm wanting to say that that was recorded in '78 or '79. Okay. That's my best recollection. I um, <laughs> don't remember the exact dates that we were. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. The music is, is timeless. You were knocked out and blown away by having Doc Watson uh, playing that record. But tell us about the first time you heard Peter Ostrusko play. Oh, man, that, that goes back into the, um, into the Dark Ages practically. Uh, again, I don't remember what year, but uh, likely it would have been 73, maybe 74. Uh, I think it was at the New Riverside Cafe, but it might have been next door at the Extempore. A bunch of us were there um, playing. I think Robin Williams of Robin and Linda Williams. And uh, I think Pop would have been there. Pop I was Wagner. there. Yeah. And uh, this this guy, this young guy, 
came up and carrying a fiddle case and asked if he could play along with it. And uh, collectively, our jaws hit the floor. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. That was my introduction to uh, Peter Ostrusko. And uh, it just, uh, as I got to know him and, and was fortunate enough to play with him, Often through the years, he just got better and better. And not only that, but everybody that played with him, just by virtue of playing with him, played better. Mm -hmm. And he was also, although in later years, knowing for his mandolin and violin player, but he was a hell of a guitar player as well. Oh, he was an incredible guitar player. Um he played everything, and he was, you know, one of these ambidextrous guys. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, he he was a marvelous guitar player. We played together for a year, traveled on the road together for a year, and a lot of what we did were sort of flat-picking guitar duets, oh, know, playing know. in harmony and that sort of thing. And it was... Um, uh, <laughs> It was something to behold. You can hear some of that on uh, on his first couple of podcasts uh, that that he that he's been that he had put together over the last couple of years of performances on on uh, Prairie Home Companion. Well, speaking of the Prairie Home Companion, uh, you and Peter and I believe Robin and Linda Williams were the first guests on the first Prairie Home Companion, correct? Uh, not Robin and Linda, but uh, Peter and I, and I think uh, I think Bill and Judy, okay. Bill Hinckley and Judy Larson, were on the very first show, if memory serves. If we weren't on the very first show, we were on one of the very first shows. And how long? And we were on that first year a lot. How long did, uh, do you have any idea how long Peter played with the Prairie Home Companion? Because he was one of the house musicians for years. Yeah, well, and he kept coming back in in guest status too. So I think he was a regular all the way through. There may have been a two or three year hiatus in the middle somewhere, but all in all, um, if if memory serves, he was on a lot all through the years. The when I was talking about uh, Peter and John Bream from the Star Tribune, called me, uh, asked. How, yeah. you know, how I felt about Peter's passing. Of course, it's just ripped a hole in all of our hearts. But I said, uh, Peter, his virtuosity was only exceeded by his humility. I think that's true. Um, he really was um, truly a humble guy. And uh, he was an interested guy. Mm -hmm. He was an interesting guy, too, but... You know, if you were in a conversation with him, you had 100% of his attention during that conversation. And, um, uh, you know, he was uh, he was the real deal. And, um, you know, uh, he also, I, I have to say, he was one of the hardest working musicians, if not the hardest working musician I've ever known in my life. Um, he practiced yeah. and played constantly, and that's how he got that good. Well, all you guys 
back then. You were all really good when you were really young, but when you guys started, when I, when you came on my radar, it seemed like every time I heard you guys, whether it was you and Sean Blackburn or you and Peter or Peter with anybody else, every time I heard you guys, you guys always got better. <laughs> you know, it flew my mind how good you guys were. Well, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, uh, that's, that's the idea. Um, I think, uh, you want to feel like you're, you're learning and, and getting better and, and all that. And as soon as you stop, you know, that process of, of figuring out new things and learning new things, um, then you might as well hang it up, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Now, what uh, what was it like just traveling with Peter? Because you guys did quite a bit of touring uh, in the Northeast and all around uh, the upper Midwest. What was it just like hanging out, uh, traveling in the car? Was he a quiet guy? Was he funny? Well, we didn't have a car. When we went Northeast, we traveled by Greyhound Bus. Okay, better yet. Believe it or not. <laughs> Found it in Hibbing, Really Hibbing, Minnesota, by the way. Uh, Greyhound Bus. I think I knew that at one point, but I forgot. Yeah, now you know again. Um, but, uh, you know, we were doing a lot of uh, college gigs, college coffee houses, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um which were a, a thing in those days. Of course, they're they're not so much anymore. Right. But uh, um, in those days, you could go to a college and you might stay there and do three nights of shows for people and then move on to the next gig, which was a very civilized way of doing things. You'd get to know people a little bit. and um, Get to see the town. So we had an awful lot of fun. Um you know, playing for people and playing for uh, young, you know, guitar players and so forth. And, and uh, really, I think that was uh, that was the spot where we both kind of honed the, the stagecraft, too, of, of learning how to be on stage, talk to people, put together a set, all those, those skills that, um, that you aren't born with. Now, what? Uh, tell us a little bit about how how green those pastures were on the West Bank folk and blues scene when you guys were starting to uh, to perform in the early to mid seventies. Well, you know that was a, a really um, remarkable scene in in many ways. Um, there were already a lot of marvelous, marvelous musicians on the scene. But I think the thing that, that I remember the most about that was the sense of camaraderie that we all had. Um, the fact that we met lifelong friends on that scene, on that corner, um, people that, uh, you know, um, I knew Peter for almost 50 years. Wow. Uh, Sean Blackburn, people like Dean Carr, who has also left, and, Love and Dean. other folks, Bob Bovey, Bob Douglas, Pop Wagner, uh, that have, um, you know, been really lifelong friends. Maureen McKeldery, 
um, folks that that um, and and we were sort of had a sense of we were all in this together, and um, you know the the coffee houses in those days, the extent for sure, and uh, places in other cities were similar in that they had more than a you know uh, a concert hall. They had a, a lot of rooms. Uh, aside from that, and so you could uh, you could grab a cup of coffee and get with another musician or two and show each other the licks that you'd figured out on a particular day or what whatever you wanted to do, and um, it it uh, it really really was um, a highly creative, highly learning place. A golden, and, uh, a golden time. We've got uh, Dakota really Dave Hall. Really a golden time. Yeah. We were just lucky. Dakota Dave Hall, I am so uh, glad you, you were able to take time with us to, to talk about uh, the great Peter Ostruchko and uh, the great days of which you came up. And we're going to have Dave on for uh, another set, so stick around. Did you know that learning a musical instrument is good for your brain? For adults, it can lead to improvements in working memory, resilience to age-related hearing loss, and lower levels of stress and depression. According to University of Texas research, it's even more effective than brain training games. And the best part is, it's fun! Even if you've never played an instrument, we'll have you playing songs in a month. You may think of School of Rock as a place for kids, but we have lessons for adults, too. School of Rock Eden Prairie offers lessons on guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, and vocals. You choose whether your lessons are in person or online. We also have adult bands if you want to jam with other adults. And AM950 listeners get 10% off 45 or 60-minute weekly lessons. Visit edenprairie.schoolofrock.com or click on the link on am950radio.com.
Welcome back to the second set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We just heard Hillbilly Swing by my guest, Dakota Dave Hall. Sean Blackburn was singing that. The great Peter Ostrushko was playing fiddle from their record, Ace Pickin' and Sweet Harmony. Dakota, Dave, let's talk a little bit about uh, another great musician we, we lost many years ago, Sean Blackburn, your, your partner for years, just one of the best singers yeah, I ever heard. Yeah, I miss that guy. What a great singer. He really was. He was also a heck of a guitar player. And he did... He with, doesn't get credit, but and, and he, he really uh, was. He did, he did rope, rope tricks, too, didn't he? Yep, he did. He did. <laughs> uh, rope tricks. Uh, stage class. and he um, after uh, after we stopped playing together he got more and more involved in sort of the western music scene which included rope tricks and and um, all of that and and really was singing right up until his uh, his early death you know when I went to his memorial I remember Peter Ostrusko yeah. playing a solo version with a little help up, uh, from my friends, the Beatles song on mandolin. Yep. And it was, there, wasn't, uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. No kidding. I know. And, and there, there, I mean, there were so many great performances that day, and, and that, one, that one certainly stood out. Um, so many of them did. You know, I remember the story because Sean was uh, became at some point uh, quite a horse rider at some point. And I remember yep. them telling the story about he used to have his horse when he lived in Colorado. And he'd always go up and ride his horse in the morning into the mountains and he would stash his coffee cup and start a little fire and have coffee. And I always I always envision, when I think about Sean, I envision him doing that. And I've always wanted to write the song, and you and I are neighbors, and we have to do it. We need to write the song called Blackburn's Cup. <laughs> That's a good title. Don't you think? That's a very good title. Yeah. You, you know, uh, you and I were chatting a few weeks ago before Peter passed, uh, I was getting, I'm working on a project to get some info on Peter. And we were talking about what, a, you know, we were surrounded by such great musicians. You got into town a little bit before me. As I kept thinking about it, Dave, I, I remember the scene, you know, like, for example, in the West Bank, whether it's, it was Palmer's or the Extemp or the New Riverside or the 400, you would tell people, I'm going to see... Dave, Dave Ram, yeah, Dave's playing with Tony. I'm going to see John, John Kerner. I'm going to see Sean and Dave. I'm going to see Bill and Judy. Everybody was on a first-name basis back then, you know, even if you didn't Absolutely. know the musicians. there was It was just that so collegial and so uh, friendly. Yep. I mean, that, that was, I think, the lucky thing for us was we were all, you know, if a new gig showed up, um. You know, people didn't sort of hoard that stuff. They shared the news. You know, hey, there's a gig. You can get a set over at this joint. It mm -hmm. pays a little bit. You know, um, there was a a bar on Lake Street that that was a four sets a night bar, but they for a while were dividing it up between four musicians, so you could go over there and you'd make ten bucks for doing one set of music. Right. 
um, you know, and and that was golden in those days. Mm-hmm. I mean, that'd be like fifty bucks today, right? For one set. For one set. Yeah. And um, you know, people could have, I suppose, kept that to themselves, kept it on the on the down low, but but they didn't. You know, you know the- and. So there was a real sense of sharing and, and camaraderie that that um, uh, I don't know if we see as much of it these days. Well, the other thing, the other element to the whole scene was so many of you guys, there was, of course, a Belleville and Hoffman on Franklin Avenue for years. I have a 12-string made by Rod Belleville, but Charlie Hoffman, yep. one of the greatest acoustic luthiers, guitar makers, in the country, uh, made guitars for so many of you guys. You have a Hoffman. Larry Long has yep. a Hoffman. Charlie McGuire has a Hoffman. I believe Peter had a Hoffman. I don't think so. Okay. Um, Peter did not, but um, but he certainly had instruments that had been worked on. Uh, he had a Belleville for a while. Okay. Um, I don't know what happened to that guitar, but... Um, but I know he had one for a while. Tell us a little bit about to Charlie Hoppin, because that was another element that was really kind of part of our scene. I had a lot of stuff worked on over at that shop, and it was a great oh, place yeah. to hang. You could go over there. I'd bump into you over there. We could pick a little bit of Casey. You'd bump into Leo Kotke. It was like a really fun yep. place. You never knew who you were going to bump into. That's true. And, of course, they kept our instruments together for us. Yes. <laughs> and... Um, you know that was a huge deal, um, and we all went in there to you know to have things repaired and have things looked at. Um, that was just the um, the nature, and of course there was the podium in right. Town exactly, too. and uh, which was another place that was sort of uh, a hangout as well as a music store. And it was really a magical time. I think the epicenter would have been the uh, extempore, right? Um, Which they used because you could well, they perform used... there, but also just hang out there. Well, yeah, and it was also the extempore. Then next door, the new Riverside Cafe, which on their monthly calendars yes. used to refer to themselves as the biomagnetic center of the universe. That's right, and that's <laughs> that's why there were so many wonderful. Uh, guitar players in Minnesota <laughs> because it's the biomagnetic center. Of the oh, for sure. We've uh, got Dakota Dave Hall on sharing his memories of uh, Peter Ostrusko in the West Bank. You can find out uh, more about Dakota Dave Hall on his website, uh, dakotadavehall.com. we got uh, just a few seconds left. Tell us about these. You do a couple uh, live streams a week, Dave. Tell us about those. I do, yeah. Every uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday um, for the next uh, little while, for sure. Uh, I just this morning did my 138th show. Wow. And um, they're just little three-song mini-concerts. And uh, I do those uh, every week. Three and, times a week. And you can get him on dakotadavehull.com. And if you're a Facebook friend, you can see him on Facebook as well. You can, you can, you don't have to even be a friend on Facebook. There's a, there's a group, Dakota Dave Hull's live streams on Facebook. And, um, 
you can uh, you can go there, and there's all the information you'd want, probably more than you need. <laughs> <laughs> Dakota Dave Hall, thank you for sharing these memories. And uh, my pleasure. When things are lighting up, uh, let's have a little uh, yard time as we're neighbors there in, in the bucolic Excellent. northeast Minneapolis. Thank you, David. What have a, a great idea. Yeah, have a great night. All right. Thanks for having me on, Paul. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. You too. All righty. Welcome to the third set of the Wall and Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. My guest right now is a man that knew Peter Ostrushko for years and years and years and had the pleasure of playing and recording with him. Tommy Lieberman is one of my oldest buddies in Minneapolis. I moved to Ridgewood Avenue in 1978 because I knew one man in Minneapolis, and he lived on Ridgewood, and we've been friends and worked together ever since. Tommy, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Paul. I'm doing well, buddy. How are you? Good. We're getting older together. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, it is good. I think it, considering the alternatives. Yes. Well, tell us a little bit about the first time you heard uh, and met Peter Ostrushko. Yeah, well, um, I would say the first time I heard Peter was very likely uh, when he was playing with Dakota Dave Hall at uh, the Coffeehouse Extempore, which was sort of my entree to the West Bank, um, playing uh, open stages at, at the Extempore. And um, Peter had, uh, as, as I'm sure other people have mentioned, and anyone who knew him would, would tell you, he sort of had this countenance. Um, I kind of considered him sort of the bluegrass Buddha. You know, he was this... <laughs> he, right. he, he was this kind of presence, you know, he yeah. was quiet. Yeah. Uh, he let his music do the talking. Um, and, and when he talked, uh, he didn't, he didn't waste words very, very much like his music. He wasn't uh, wasteful of it. He was very respectful of it. And, uh, anyway, so, uh, he and Dave together, um, were playing, uh, you know, Dave, of course, being, uh, the, the great guitarist and, uh, Peter, likewise a great guitarist, so when they would do duets, that was astounding. And then uh, Peter would pick up the fiddle, and it was amazing. They'd pick up the, the mandolin, and it was uh, all even more so amazing. I mean, yeah. just kind of these layers of, of amazement kind of coming from this center of calm. Um, Dave Dave uh, is a man of, uh, you know, who like, likes to tell a story, as, as, as did Peter, but but Dave was more the uh, the loquacious one of the of the two. He he would he would sort of set up the songs and he he would uh, do the intros and the patter. Whereas Peter just uh, you know he 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 was a he was an equal of course uh, in the in the act, but he kind of he kind of laid back almost like a sideman would and let Dave do the talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so so Peter always had this this thing where you you kind of you kind of had to meet him on his on his uh his ground you know you, you right. didn't want to you didn't want to um put him off um but he had a, he had a way of kind of leveling you with silence or leveling you with silence because right. as you could tell I'm not very good at silence um <laughs> but uh but he he could do that and and Dave and Peter were um they were the gold standard you know for right. the for the people playing traditional music um you know Peter was, I mean, I, I recall that the talk about Peter at the time, um, you know, I, I was, I had just gotten my driver's license and I was, you know, coming down to the extemporary for open stages and, 
in my uh, my blue Dodge Dart, um, <laughs> which I which I wish I still had. Hey, I had. Anyway. To, hey, I didn't know we had this in common. I inherited my grandmother's. Uh, yellow you had a swinger though. Yellow dot. Well, it's Dodge Dart Swinger with a black heart. Yeah, top. it was. It was a two door. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I had. I had the. I had the four door. That's metallic. why they called it a swinger. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So as you can appreciate, uh, can. my Dodge Dart would get me down to these open spaces, sure. and uh, and you know, I was, I was, I was just, you know, um, I was really too young to be there. But uh, nonetheless, I, uh, I I was there and uh, meeting this guy Peter and hearing him play. And you know, the talk about Peter was that he was impossibly young to be playing like that. Mm-hmm. Which, which I think you know that that certainly was true when he was nineteen or twenty. Um, and you know, then you know, you just kept go- he just kept growing up and he was still impossibly young to be yeah. playing whatever he was playing because he was kind of ageless you know he was kind of this this eternal old soul kind of person right and um you know i i don't really i couldn't tell you that peter um over the course of the many years that i i knew him um and and you know obviously there are people who were, were far closer to him than i but we were friends and and uh hung out uh, quite a bit but I don't think he changed much at all yeah. over the years. I mean, he just got better. He just kind of became more and more of who he was. It's not like he, he, you know, he cut and run in another direction. He just, he just kind of continued to deepen, and uh, and that was kind of an ageless sort of quality, which he, to me he always had. But the line was that he was he was this kind of you know impossibly young um, prodigy, which uh, he certainly certainly was at the time and then i think he just sort of grew into his talent well uh, let's not sell yourself short tommy lieberman because uh Mm. uh when i uh, started when tom lieberman became on my radar you were opening shows for guys like doc watson and i believe you showed up with your guitar at a brownie mcgee and sonny terry gig and brownie asked you to either was it sit in on stage or sit in backstage or uh, but you're all well, we, yeah. you're an 18 year old white guy. I mean, you were good too, really good. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah, no, it's Brownie Brownie McGee and uh, and Sonny Terry. Um, you know, my my dad was into Sonny and Brownie, which which of course got me into them. And, and uh, you know, he had a couple of their records. And I remember they were playing the whole coffee house, and my friend Billy Smith, um, you know, Waylon Willie on the harmonica. Sure. Billy, uh, big big Sonny Terry fan. And he, Billy was on the uh, was working at the hole at the time, and he uh, he said, "Tommy, you might want to come down and and uh, you know I, I'm happy to get you backstage, introduce you to Brownie." And uh, we met and uh, played some backstage, and then yeah, he, he was he and Sonny were nice enough to to bring me up, and and then uh, they'd come through town and we'd we'd play. Um, yeah, that was you know. What a what an experience! Those were those were Brownie's dashiki years. I think <laughs> can remember. But I remember Brownie was playing a guitar. He's playing this. It was a Martin. Uh, it was like a D eighteen, like right. a nice old D eighteen that had been given to him. It was a gift that he had been given by Andy Griffith. Wow! Which I thought was just weird, <laughs> but uh, but somehow wonderful. And uh, yeah, so Sonny and Brownie, you know, they they came out of North Carolina and worked their way to uh, to New York City where they did all sorts of crazy things. I think I think Brownie was the original in the original cast of Porgy and Bess. I believe I'm not so. mistaken. 
Yeah, I think he played the sporting life character. So, you know, those guys, those guys uh, had all sorts of stories. But, uh, but yes, so. Well, but I was a baby. Yeah, of course just, I was a baby. I was just, I was just lucky to, lucky to be, be in the room. You know? You've aged well, Tom Lieberman. Tell us about <laughs> uh, now. You were on some of the early Prairie Home Companion shows too, weren't you? Well, yeah, and I was trying to recall specifically. I don't know um, in some of your other conversations if this could be clarified, but I was in a, I was invited into a musicians co-op um, called the June Apple Musicians Co-op. And uh, Dakota Dave was a big part of that, as uh, were Pop Wagner and Bob Bovey and um, Bob Douglas, uh, Maureen McKeldery, uh Jerry Rao, uh, Sean Blackburn. Um, I'm sure others that had preceded my involvement and, and uh, others that I'm probably forgetting. But, um, you know, all these guys um, and women were, you know, they were just like older siblings, really, to me. They were just so, so accepting. And I think Peter was probably in the co-op at one time. If not, he was, you know, very, very close, close to those players, of course. And, uh, so anyway, I was in this, 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 this group of, of guys. We would, uh, share booking information and gigs and promo and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, again, I was, I was, you know, just so happy to be involved with these guys and they were so helpful and supportive. And, uh, around that time, you know, this is probably 73, 74. And, uh, you know, Garrison was, was starting to, to mine the, uh, the, uh, the West Bank, uh, folky community and, uh, putting them on stage. And, you know, a lot of those guys that I just mentioned had become, uh, the Potter Milk Biscuit Band or the New Prairie Ramblers or, you know, any, any number of other sort of iterations of the Prairie Home House Band. So I think what happened was that it just kind of became, it was a sort of a matter of time that I finally met, uh, I was introduced to Gears in, I think, 75 or 76 was my first uh, time on the show. Now, and uh, they, so they just sort of got it, he, you know, finally got around to me. Yeah, well, you, um, you were an incredible musical force at that time, as you still are. Tell us a little bit about how you stumbled on a Tim Sparks and Prudence Johnson and uh, Vuela. Uh, Rio Nito was formed. Well, you know, uh, again, um, you know, like like so much of of uh, the story here, it all happened at the extempore or on or somewhere on the West Bank. Um, I do remember specifically the first time I ran into Sparks. Um, I was upstairs uh, at the extempore. The music room had moved upstairs, and it was sort of a there was a big room, uh, lobby room out in front of the, the music room itself, and there was this guy who was who had a uh, kind of this, um, I don't know what, what exactly you would call his mustache, but he had like a soul patch and a mustache. Right, right. And he was wearing a, a big brown Homburg hat <laughs> and playing a, uh, a color-coordinated Martin uh, 0017, little brown mahogany Martin, and just finger-picking the hell out of this thing. I mean, right. you know, you heard Tim back then. But he was playing some old uh, Jelly Roll Morton and uh, James P. Johnson um, basically, stride piano arrangements uh, re- reimagined for for finger picking guitar, and uh, just to just to get totally esoteric, um, there were people that were that were starting to do that, and and, and uh, 
you know, kind of of the finger style tradition of the Merle Travis, Chet Atkins kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, but people like Guy Van Duzer and uh, Duck Baker and uh, Tim Sparks were taking taking you know that to to the next level. Um, and I think it was Van Duzer who, who called it stride guitar. And uh, with finger picking, you know, it's kind of a, a weird uh, name for it. But the, the the thumb of the picking hand is going back and forth in this alternating bass, which which is basically filling the role that the left hand plays on the piano in, in stride and boogie woogie, where it's kind of got this big alternating bass line, but it was in the guitar, it's handled by the thumb. So Tim was, you know, he was he. What he would do is he'd slow down these old piano roll recordings of these Stride and Boogie Woogie players, and he'd just figure them out note for note and arrange them for guitar. And so he was just sitting there playing this stuff, and it's like, <laughs> what on earth? You know, what fresh hell have I stumbled into here? And uh, you know, just so 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 taken by it that we started, uh, you know, it just start started um, hanging out with him, playing playing with him, trying to learn from him. Um, which I'm, you know, I'm still doing to this day, just trying to trying to keep up and learn with him, uh, learn from him. But uh, you know, so it was it was that kind of thing. So Tim was just this curiosity, and no one really knew what to make of him. Um, but we shared a, a real love for um, that era of music, particularly, and that was sort of where where his head was at at that time. And um, I think he had done a gig or two with Prudence, so knew her as a vocalist, and we, we started getting into sort of the vocal harmony groups of, of the, the early, early 20th century, kind of the Boswell Sisters was sort of our, our big meeting spot, uh, Boswell Sisters being this kind of eccentric harmony group of the 20s. Um, and then we explored, you know, we kind of got it, it, it started to cool into into sort of the swing and bop era stuff and uh, I guess, you know, we get into Lambert Hendricks and Ross stuff of the 50s and 60s, and, and then it kind of got into more of a, a bebop sensibility, which um, which was which was very cool. It wasn't really where I was necessarily coming from, but, um, you know, it's all good. Uh, so, that you know, Tim basically brought, uh, brought me in and, and brought Prudence in and brought us, the three of us together. And uh, that was the original Rio Nito, and then I, I left that group in, 80 after uh, I like to riff and uh, went off to to uh, find myself in, in other ways and and uh, happy to say that uh, we're all still friends and we're playing together again. So about five years ago, we we bootlegged uh, I like to riff and re-released it. Good for you. <laughs> we bootlegged our own record. Stole your own record. That's a, that's my right. kind of hero, Tommy. We're going to listen to a great track at the end of this set called Hannah from Savannah that. Uh, Peter plays on uh, with Rionito from the record. I like to riff. Now, you were friends with Peter for going on, what, 45, 50 years. Uh, I guess. And, and, you know, we, I I say in a very sad way, we, we almost, you know, we lost Peter twice because we lost him when he had a stroke and when we found out he'd never play again. I mean, it was, yeah. I'm still not over that, personally. And he and I weren't that close, but we'd worked together, we'd right. recorded together. But I just bowed down on that guy as one of Minnesota's great virtuosos. So what was, uh, you talked about, you know, the early years with Peter, and we're going to listen to some music you recorded with him. What was it uh, like getting to know Peter in the later years, uh, pre-stroke, 
after the stroke and, and towards the end there and, and talk about his great podcast too. Yeah. You know, I, I, again, I, I'm not sure I'm the, the greatest authority, you know, Peter, uh, and Peter has so many collaborators and, and, you know, people who really, really, really spent time with him. I, I, I consider myself more just to have been lucky to have uh, touched his orbit at a, at a few points uh, in my life, um, you know, through uh, Prairie home and, and, uh, and with Rio Nito. Um, but we were friends, you know, and, and, uh, and I, I, I really think about, you know, the old days when I was, uh, a little bit, uh, it was a little bit before I was actually legally, um, able to drink in the 400, but that apparently did not, uh, slow me down much. And I, uh, <laughs> we, I, I can think of many, many afternoons playing pinball in the back of the 400 with Peter and just, just having a great time, just chilling, you know, just hanging out. Yeah. And we didn't, you know, it's not like we were having any deep conversations. We were just playing pinball and having a nice time. And, uh, you know, it, it, Peter Peter always struck me as somebody who had a very, very good, strong, centered self sense of self. You know, I think I think Peter knew who he was. And um, and that was a that really gave him a lot of strength. Um, you know, his his upbringing, his his proud Ukrainian background, his you know, his proud roots uh, in Northeast. Um, you know, it's 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 not like, as I say, you, you know, you, the, you you never really wondered which Peter was going to show up. It was always the same guy. Yeah. And uh, you know, he was he was he was always uh, considerate. He was um, he was always kind, and he was uh, he was always a lot of fun. He was one of the funniest people in the world. But of course, you know, his his his. Uh, humor was kind of surgical you know he, he would like choose his moment and then he would just just go in there and and make that that perfect cut you know like 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 playing um, a, like playing a great solo tommy lieberman this yeah. has been uh, really great thank you for sharing uh your memories of peter and in those great times we're going to listen to hannah from savannah off tommy's uh tommy's record i like to riff with prudence johnson tim sparks band called Rio Nido and Don't that will be Peter's Nothing in it but the blue Gonna throw away my derby Gonna throw away my shoes Cause I'm never wrong away from home solitary day When I get back to Hannah in Savannah GA I got to steal the door You can clip my wings and keep them I don't need them anymore Cause I never roam away from home Solitary day When I get back to Hannah In Savannah, G.A.
Did you know that learning a musical instrument is good for your brain? For adults, it can lead to improvements in working memory, resilience to age-related hearing loss, and lower levels of stress and depression. According to University of Texas research, it's even more effective than brain training games. And the best part is, it's fun! Even if you've never played an instrument, we'll have you playing songs in a month. You may think of School of Rock as a place for kids, but we have lessons for adults, too. School of Rock Eden Prairie offers lessons on guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, and vocals. You choose whether your lessons are in person or online. We also have adult bands if you want to jam with other adults. And AM950 listeners get 10% off 45 or 60-minute weekly lessons. Visit EdenPrairie.SchoolOfRock.com or click on the link on AM950Radio.com. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Patrick Lilia. We'd like to thank our guests, Dakota Dave Hall and Tom Lieberman. If you're looking to buy a house in Northeast Minneapolis, I'm selling my duplex. Get a hold of me at paul at paulmetza.com. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.